Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to another edition of AIW's The Card is Going to Change. Before we get into this week's special episode, uh, we want to, of course, thank our sponsors that help us bring it to you for free each and every week on whichever platform you choose to listen. Thanks to Angelo's Pizza. Angelo's takes care of us. They bring pizza to all of our events so that you can try it out and buy it. And then, of course, if you want to try more than just their award-winning pizza, head to Angelo's on Madison Avenue in Lakewood, Ohio. It's a very romantic spot, I've heard from one Derek director. Uh, also, thanks to Pollyanna DIY. They make all sorts of customized memorabilia and have plenty of awesome throwback stuff as well. Check them out, Pollyanna DIY. Thanks to SmartMark Video for recording all of our live events. They are there, so if you can't make it, you can feel like you still are. Whether you purchase it on DVD or download it for digital purposes after the fact, check out SmartMarkVideo.com for all AIW shows, as well as SMVOD.com and get it on demand with some replays. And speaking of downloads and streaming Thanks to independentwrestling.tv. Sign up now using code ABSOLUTE. Get a 20-day free trial, and you can watch plenty of shows from the AIW archives that are constantly rotating, as well as plenty of other independent wrestling promotions. That's independentwrestling.tv. Code ABSOLUTE, and get your 20-day free trial. And with that, we get into today's episode. Uh, as we sit here, we are recording. It is the day of WrestleRager 4. We're sitting inside an empty Now That's Class that will later, in just a few short hours, be jam-packed with our sold-out crowd. Uh, I'm joined by AIW owner John Thorne. Hello. My name is Steve Guy, your moderator of sorts. And usually I say our names last, but I think that uh, our guest today deserves... Special guest this week. He deserves the final introduction. Legend. We welcome the legend... Bill Alfonso, you know him maybe better as Fonzie. Welcome to the show, Daddy. Hey, Daddy, listen, I'm a legend in my own mind, so don't be calling me a legend, brother. <laughs> you know, I'm happy to be here. Hey, how the fuck did you remember all that shit without reading? You're fucking great, man. You looked, you thought I had it on the screen I here, did, didn't I you? Jack, it was going so smooth, man. Oh, we, do, we do this every single week. Yeah. I just, I just roll I through it. it. I love it. You guys are my kind of guys. Well, w- welcome, uh, welcome aboard. I think... Wait a minute. Oh, oh. I gotta, is, if it's not Vince McMahon or my daughter, I won't answer it. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, you know, I th- after uh, you know, we brought you in for the special appearance at Absolution a couple weeks ago. Uh, we ended up having such a great time. Uh, I think I think you talked your way into a full time contract <laughs> the other day. Well, thank you very much. I had a fantastic time here, man, and I am thrilled to uh, have you guys ask me back. And I love the company. It reminds me of a young ECW. Well, not a young ECW. It reminds me of an established ECW getting at the early stages and progressing. You guys, the, 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 your whole crew is nice. They treat me like a superstar. And it's just fantastic. And it's, everybody's talking about uh, tonight. It's the third annual show. It's going to be big. If you haven't been to this next year, you better buy a ticket because it sells out instantly. Yeah, we're, uh, we're very excited. And uh, we wanted to have you on the podcast because, uh, you know, as we were having a couple cocktails after the show um, a few weeks ago. Oh, you're talking about the legendary stories. Okay, <laughs> you, go ahead. You, uh, you know, uh, I found myself uh, almost in a personal shoot interview with Fonzie as we just discussed <laughs> the various things throughout your career. And, uh, you know, I was like, man, this guy needs to write a book with, with all the, you know, with the great career that you've had. Um, you know, I guess we'll just start it off. 
How did you even get involved in the wrestling business? Well, I was just like you guys. I was a big fan growing up. And how I got to be a big fan is my dad was a friend of the sports editor for the Tampa Tribune, and they used to write the results and the ad for who's going to wrestle on Tuesday nights in Tampa. And it was Dusty Rose and Eddie Graham and a great Malenko, Dean Malenko's dad. And so my dad came home with two comp tickets from the sports editor because they used to comp them two tickets for writing the articles, plus right. they paid them and stuff. And my dad came home with two tickets. He said, hey, Billy, I have uh, tickets for wrestling. I said, wrestling? What's that, Dad? I didn't know anything about it. I wasn't even interested. So they said, this was like on a Friday. So they sat on the fireplace all weekend. Tuesday rode around. So curiosity got me. So I said, let me take my buddy. So me and my buddy went, and I fell in love with it. It was Bobby Shane who got killed in an airplane. God bless him. Uh, Eddie Graham, great Malenko, as I said. And, man, I just fell in love with the business that day. That's what I wanted to do when I grew, uh, grew up. But, unfortunately, I grew up to be 155 pounds. Maybe it was fortunate <laughs> because I had a long career. If I would have been a wrestler, I might have had a 10-year career, went out with back problems. And you know how the guys all got right. plastic hips and limp at the conventions and shit. But fell in love with it, wanted to be a wrestler, couldn't make the weight. So the next best thing, I didn't think of this, uh, um, King Curtis and Rocky Johnson said, You'd make a great referee. You love the business. You're going to make us look big. You're, you know, you're hyper. So I broke in as a referee. I was very lucky. I went to uh, um, uh, The Rock's dad, Rocky Johnson, and King Curtis send me and my buddy out to Dallas, Texas to work. Uh, Gary Hart was a booker. For world class? Yep, right at the Sportatorium. Devon Eriks, all those guys, Fritz wow. Von Eric, David, all those guys. Uh, Bronco Lubitsch was a referee, so but they had already were established. They had all the referees, but I was just trying to. So I went out there for six months, and I refereed like four times in six months. I was there with my buddy David Cannell, the Cuban assassin David yes. Sierra, uh, and he was paying my way. And you know, hopefully, I was going to get a full time job, but unfortunately, they had David Manning, Bronco Lubitsch, and you know, actually, there was four territories in Texas. It was Joe Blanchard, San Antonio, the Funks, the Funks and, and the Funks Amarillo, Paul Boss, who just ran Houston, and the Von Erics. So in those four, and they interacted with everybody. They would switch talents, and there was four different TVs. So the, the six months I was there, I, I worked four times, but I worked for the Funks, I worked for Blanchard, I worked for Paul Boss, and I worked for the Von Erics. Just... It's like if one guy got a flat tire, got sick or whatever. You were, you were there. I was there and they used me. I was getting cokes, helping with the ring, anything I can do to be involved in the business. I was backstage learning and listening. So I said after six months, I said to Dave, to uh, Cuban Assassin, I said, man, thank you so much for, uh, you know, taking care of me for this, but I can't get a full-time job. I got to go home and do something, get a real job. And uh, Paul Jones, who just recently passed away, right. number one small uh, Paul Jones from yes. the Carolinas, uh, really nice guy. He said, you know, uh, Fonzie, Jerry Briscoe is a real good friend of mine. I heard you're leaving. He said, when you go back to Florida, why don't you call Jerry up and you know, see if you can get a meeting with him and tell him you just moved back there and you were on the road here with us and you worked for Blanchard and Funks. You, bu you built a nice resume up in those yeah. couple months. Small resume, yeah. but the names were yeah, really good. Yeah. But I never said I only worked one time for this guy, one time right, for that right, guy. Right. I just said, hey, I worked for the Funks, I worked for this guy and that guy. So I did. Um, now, this is my childhood. I grew up in Tampa, and now I'm watching these guys wrestle every Tuesday night. I didn't miss a Tuesday for years. 
right. you know, I was really into it. And, and I became friends with a lot of, so um, I felt intimidated going to the Sportatorium to, you know, talk sure. to Jerry Briscoe. So, but I did, I, you know, dressed up nice and said, well, Jerry, you know, Paul Jones, oh, Paul Jones. So, yeah, he sent me, he told me to check in with you to, you know, I'm here, if you can ever use me. He said, well, unfortunately, Fonzie, we got this guy, that guy, the referee's full, but leave your name with the guy downstairs, Charlie Lay, and if something comes up, we could, we'll call you and we'll use you. You know, you sure. got a little resume. So it was a Monday night. They ran West Palm on a Monday, Tampa Tuesday, Miami Wednesday, Jacksonville Thursday, a spot show Friday, spot show Saturday, and Orlando Sunday. Year-round, seven days a week. No days off, 365 wow. days a year. So it was West Palm and the referee. I don't know who it was. It was some guy. And he had the three main events, the the main event, the semi-main event, and the third, you know, top right. three matches in his car. And they were going to West Palm. It's a 200-mile drive. Halfway there, like in Elegant Alley, he had a flat tire with no fucking spare. Oh, wow. They missed the show. Wow. Dusty was fucking mad. He fired him instantly. I get a phone call the next morning. Wow. Hey, kid, this is Charlie Lay. He talked like this. Hey, kid, this is Charlie Lay from the wrestling office. Uh, Dusty wants to know if he can uh, come down and referee tonight. I said, yes, sir. No problem. I had size 12 boots. I wear 10. <laughs> I wear a medium shirt. I had a double X. So I look, oh, you know, big clothes. I walk in. But I did a hell of a job that night. And they said, hey, can you make... Uh, Wednesday night, I mean Wednesday in Miami. I said, yes, sir. So, I mean, Wednesday, can you make, every night they would say, can you work the next night? I said, yes, can you work the next night? So, it got to Sunday to Orlando, and they say, congratulations, you got a full-time job. Wow. wow. And I've had a full-time job since May of 1980 for 20 years without, I worked for Florida Wrestling, uh, Mid-Atlantic, Jim Crockett, TBS, the Superstation before it was TBS, right. it was a Superstation Channel 17. Yeah. Then I went to uh, WCW, same same company, different name. Then I went to Vince, then I went to ECW. Now I'm here in AIW where it's happening, Daddy. <laughs> and I love it. Thank you, Justice. Thank you, John. And thank you, Steve. Uh, no problem. Uh, yeah. You know, one, one of the things that I found interesting when we were talking the other day is... Uh, you kind of worked your way up to to working almost directly with Dusty Rhodes, and you know he was he was giving you the finishes and, and things like that. Which uh, you know for for a guy that went from being you know just the you know the the guy hoping to get a job to work your way all the way up the ladder, that that I found that pretty impressive. Uh, you know what what was the evolution of your relationship with Dusty? At one, after a while, I told Dusty, I said, Dusty, I wish you were my father. I loved him that much. <laughs> and that was a true statement. I wish he was, my dad had passed away. I said, Dusty, I wish you were my father. He said, son, I am your father. And we became closer that day. But what got me over is I had to learn. I was like a sponge. Now, if you weren't able to, to perform, uh, if you weren't good, there's 10 other guys that can take your job. Right. You better yeah. fucking be good. Especially in those days. You know, one time, there was Dusty was in the main event. I'll tell you the rest of that story. Dusty was, a, this is a, a, a something that, so Dusty was in the main event with, um, uh, fuck, what's his name? Uh, the Missing Link, Dewey Robinson. Yes. So he was in the main event with, no, no, it was, damn it, it wasn't Dewey. It was, uh, 
damn, uh, I'll think of the name in a second. But anyway, the main, the, the finish was Dusty makes his big comeback, boom, boom, boom. Uh, the guy takes a powder, goes under the ring. When Dusty starts stomping his feet and go clapping, he comes out and they go into the finish, one, two, three. So Dusty starts stomping his feet, the guy don't come out. He fucks the finish up. You know, they had to play a little bit. Dusty was livid. I go back to the dressing room and said, what the fuck happened? Did you give him the finish? I said, Dusty, I gave him the, did you give him I said, I could give it to you backwards, Dusty. It was all him. He said, he fired him on the spot. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. So, but I was so good at carrying, because the heels and the baby faces were in two different dressing rooms all the time. Right. If he got caught riding with a heel and a baby face, that was almost fire. You get fired or get reprimanded. That didn't happen. It was really kayfabe. Not like today. You know, today's a little more social media, a little more accepted, Vince, you know, sports entertainment and so on and so on. But back in the day, we protected. If somebody said, hey, wrestling's fake. I don't get in a fight with that motherfucker. Can right. I cuss? Yeah, oh yeah, okay. absolutely. See, I don't cuss, but sometimes it slips out. But <laughs> if you got caught riding with somebody, that's terms for fire or reprimanded or... Uh, so, the heels and the babies were in a different... So, I, at Dusty Wine, it was real punctual. That's why I'm punctual. That's why I'm always on time. I do my job. So, I'd get to the arena at 7 o'clock. I'd go right to Dusty. He was a booker. I have my pencil or the card, and Dusty say, "Okay, here's a, at 7:15." He gave me all the finishes, a lot of high spots, a lot of stuff to take over. So a, after a while, I would go take three matches over and come back and get three more. But after a while, I would take four matches. After a while, I would take five. After a while, I could take seven matches, seven finishes, seven all kind of high spots, and remember every fucking detail. I was known worldwide, well, uh, nationally for. Um, being a good finish man and remembering. And I, a lot of guys come up to me today and say, oh, Fonzie, thank you, like uh, Adrian uh, Street, the, you know, the gimmick yeah. Adrian. He, I uh, see him at conventions, Fonzie, I would have never made it if it wasn't for you. You helped me in the ring, carry the, you know, tell me what to do. And uh, that happened a lot with Lex, a lot of guys. So I would carry finishes over and, and I just, it was like a sponge. And if you didn't, uh, absorb it They'd get another guy They'd so find somebody else They'd find somebody yeah. else And luckily enough My mind was fresh And no concussions I could remember stuff And so And plus I was a hell of a referee You you mentioned something uh, A name right there And I You know I, I have to ask it You refereed the infamous Bruiser Brody Lex Luger Yeah Incident This is the war memorial In uh, Fort Lauderdale uh, So you know What's going through your head When you're when you're in there And you're seeing This, this whole thing unfold it didn't phase me that much because I could see it coming. I knew something was coming, but I didn't know Luger was going to jump out of the cage and split. It was bad booking. When uh, Frank Goodish, uh, Bruiser Brody, notorious for being a superstar and hardcore. He was hardcore back then. Right. It was, but he's notorious for not being so suave and getting along with the promoters. He'd shake the boat a little bit. Not in a bad way, but not in a good way. Promoters would... Right. Be a little afraid st of standoffish. Yeah, a little standoffish. And, oh, Bruiser Brody, but he's going to draw. So, you know, they weighed out and they bring him in. So uh, it was a bad booking. The office shouldn't have put Lex Luger and Bruiser Brody in there without going over and talking to them both and getting them both in the dressing room and say, hey, do you mind, Brody, to put the kid over a little bit? And then you beat him, of course, because uh, um, Lex Luger was hand, he got hand-picked opponents and he was uh, uh 
uh, Hiro Matsuda's uh, creation. And I was in the dressing room when they named them. It was Dusty, Mike Graham, Hiro Matsuda. They were trying to come up with a name for Lex Luger. And somebody said, hmm, fucking uh, 357, uh, hmm, what? Uh, Winchester, hmm, Luger, Luger. Lex Luger, so that the created his name right there. Just right off of like Just some like kind that. of gun, right? Yeah. yeah, so Lex Luger came up pretty good, and it's a good name, good wrestling name. And it was a bad booking, so uh, Luger was used to beating the guys up, doing, you know, being the top dog in the ring, even though he was a young guy in the business. He already had played pro football, college ball. He was an athlete, and, yeah. you know, had the beautiful body, but... He never learned to work. He wasn't a good worker. Right. He was okay worker. He right. just had that good body. Vince spent a fucking million dollars on him on the Lex Express. <laughs> he got over to a certain extent, but he couldn't work that well. He worked enough to get by, obviously, but made big money. Uh, but it was a bad booking. They should have talked over, and and Luger just freaked out. You know, uh, uh, Brody wouldn't sell nothing because the kids hitting him. You know what I mean? Just listen to. I told Luger during the match, just listen to Brody, listen to Brody, listen to Brody, listen to Brody, and he couldn't. He, it was like talking to a, a wall because he he couldn't hear a thing we were saying. Right. You know, he was so excited and so intense. You know, so it was a bad booking, and he got carried out of hand. He and he, I, I, he got spooked. Because that was very early in his career as well. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was a bad booking. He was hand right. picked all his opponents, you know, and ripping his shirt off, beating the guys in four or five minutes, and put him in the in the best of the most one of the most notorious wrestlers and right. uh, a superstar, and been around the business twenty years already. This is a bad booking. Um, so you know, fast forward a little bit. Okay. Uh, one of the only one of the other things that I found so interesting about you is you were El Gigante, Giant Gonzalez's. Like personal right hand man for several years, for three years. How how do you how do you land that gig? You know, and I don't know. Is it is it a gift? Is it a a, a curse? You know what I mean? Like how did how it did was you- a gift and being in the right place at the right time and knowing people and I was Dusty's guy. He could rely on me. Dusty, the Giant Gonzalez needed a personal guy to take him around. Like Frenchie Bernard was uh, Andre's guy. Took him around. Uh, so he came in. They first spotted uh, the giant. Uh, some of the because uh, Ted Turner owned the Hawks, yeah, owned because the Braves, he, owned CNN. He played for the Hawks, this. I think, or something, right? Yeah. Well, they brought him in to play for the Hawks. So they uh, he had already played several years in European ball. So his knees were fucking already starting to give out. Plus, he was a giant. The Giants don't last long. Their right. body starts to shut down after he died. Very young, just like Andre. God bless them both. So. They needed somebody to take him around and be his personal guy. So, and they, and I was Dusty's guy, and Dusty was the booker at TBS, and he said, Fonzie, we're going to put you at, uh, you know, you're making 100 grand a year, we're going to pay you an extra 25, plus give you a Cadillac every day, and a little expensive. I said, really? Thank you, sir. So that's how I got the gig, the right place at the right time, and I was reliable. Right. And they could have deducted money from my salary because, me and the Giant got along so well, and I loved him so much. We were together every day, 365 days a year. We had some days off. I would take him home to my house, and we have a fucking ball. We had a great time. Uh, so that's how I got the gig. And it was, uh, oh, so I got so many perks from, not Percocets. I got so many perks, <laughs> like good things, you know, like uh, free meals or whatever, you know, right. things like that. Yeah. So, uh, so I would do, be in a place like... Uh, I would be sitting in where Ted Turner sits with Jimmy Carter 
watching the Braves game in that fucking presidential box, me and the Giant. And the camera would pan over and said, even the Giant comes out to watch the Braves. They wouldn't say, even Fonzie comes out to watch the Braves. They would say, even A for a Giant. Uh, we would do different movies, Thunder in Paradise with Hogan, uh, uh, game shows, fucking uh, conventions, the big scene of conventions in Vegas, you know, to sell ECW, all kind of things. Uh, got extra pay, Cadillac. It was just a tremendous spot for me, and we became such good friends until the day he died. We were, you know, uh, stayed in touch, and and uh, he was just a blessing. The, uh, you know, you just mentioned Thunder in Paradise, and I just remembered another story you told me. Hulk Hogan forgets to pay you because you have to take did the giant. Did I finish to that story? Did I tell well, you, you did, but I think you should tell it on this. <laughs> you know, like uh, you, you told me, you know, Giant Gonzalez is is kind of he's booked for the Thunder in Paradise pilot, and you go along with him, and you're you're supposed to get paid. Yeah. So the story is, Giant and I are in WWF, making going around the world doing stuff. So uh, Hogan's shooting the pilot episode. To see if they pick it up, and they did. So they're shooting a pilot, and they needed a big guy to um, help break out a guy from a, a, a paddy wagon. They're taking a guy to jail, a bad guy, and Giant comes and rips the doors off the paddy wagon and throws them and takes the bad guy, machine gun shooting, and the story goes on. So uh, uh, Hogan calls Vince and says, hey, Vince, can I have the Giant for three weeks, you know, we're going to shoot this thing, and we were really, the Giant says, oh, yeah, I mean, uh, um, Vince says, yeah, you can have the Giant, you know, uh, Fonzie's got to come with him, and I'm not paying Fonzie, because why should I pay him? Hogan says, I'll pay him, don't worry, so Vince says, hey, Fonzie, you and the Giant go down, you're going to do the movie, I said, okay, great, so we go down, uh, so the Giant's in California, and I'm trying to uh, the giant wants to sleep late, so he's going to catch the next flight out. I catch a real early flight, me and Jimmy Hart. So we drive in. Uh, we fly into Tampa. Me and Jimmy Hart going to go get a haircut. I got to uh, get a Cadillac because my Cadillacs are free because of the giant. Go get a brand new Cadillac at Avis. So me and Jimmy Hart go to get a haircut. We go have lunch. I'm on my way back to the airport four hours later to go pick up the giant. And I can't be late. That's my guy. So I'm at the airport. I mean, I'm on my way to the airport, about two miles from the airport, and some fucking lady runs a fucking red light and T-bones me and Jimmy Hart, and I got my cousin in the back seat. So there's three of them in the car. The car is fucking disaster. Oh, my God, we're all kind of banged up, and the police come, and the car is a disaster, and I got to pick up the giant in 40 minutes, and I'm panicking and shit. And I tell the cop, we fill out all the paperwork. The lady was at fault. And I say, hey, can I drive the car? I can't wait for a record to come and, you know, all that. Let me just flip-flop the car uh, uh, to the airport. It's only a half mile away, and I'll get another Cadillac. He says, okay, if you think you can make it. So Jimmy Hart, my cousin, get in the back seat of the Cadillac, all banged up real bad. The whole side of the car is all crushed up. So they said, fine. Jimmy Hart says, hey, you know how he talks. Hey, Fonzie, hey, baby. You know, man, you were crazy getting in a car wreck. Uh, we're going to ride it in the back seat because we don't trust you. You know how Jimmy Hart talks. <laughs> so I don't do a good imitation, but you know how yeah, he, yeah. So uh, they jump in the back seat, and we're all laughing about the wreck and shit. So we're, I can see the airport, where the, uh, the red light. And I'm looking in the mirror, waiting for the red light to turn green. And I said, you guys ain't going to believe this. Bam, a lady hits us oh, about oh, 40 miles an hour from the back. She pushes us out into the middle of the intersection. Car slamming on brakes. The car's 
gets hit again. The headlights are hanging out. The flat tire. Oh, my God. It's a disaster. And they can't believe it. So I don't even wait for the cops. I just leave the fucking scene, drive to the airport, which I shouldn't have done. Uh, so I'm driving the uh, car to the airport with Jimmy Hart and my cousin. And the lady looks at us and shakes her head and finds well, I don't even want to know what happened. The car's totaled out. Gives us a new Cadillac. Pick up the giant and go to shoot the movie. So the next day we start filming and shit, and we film for three weeks. And uh, at the end of the three weeks, it's like they're gonna do the 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 party, the cast party, and I haven't got paid anything. I don't know how much I'm gonna get paid or nothing. And you know, I don't ask. I don't care if I get paid or not. But of course I do. Right. But you know, uh, well. So at the the last day of the shoot, Hogan comes up to me. And says, oh, my son just got in a jet ski accident. Uh, it may be, you know, we don't know how bad it is. On the water, jet ski, you could be fucking mangled leg or something sure. bad. So he rushes to the hospital and says, meet me at the airport tomorrow. We're both flying out. He's going to Japan and I'm going back to New York. He says, meet me at the airport at gate 15A and I'll bring you something. So I said, okay, Hogan, and I didn't, you know. So the next day, you know, I go to the airport, and there's Hulk Hogan with a fucking blank check. Says, Fonzie, I don't know how much to pay you, but here's a blank check. You just put whatever you want on there. What are you you thinking at that point? Yeah. I said, fuck, that's pretty generous. Uh, And, you know, I don't want to do the wrong thing, but I want to get paid. So I go to Jimmy Hart and said, Jimmy, what should I put on here? I don't know. I'm not touching that thing. So I go to a couple of different, oh, I'm not touching it. It was like a hot check, but a right. good one. You know, it's Hulk right. Hogan's check. Uh, Terry Boulay and Linda Boulay, you know. It's his personal check, not a, yeah, uh, not like yeah, a yeah. check for not, the cast. Right, right. Not movie. like a- Yeah. So finally I said, Jimmy, how about if I take the minimum pay that Vince would pay me per day, which was $300, the least I would make, you know, if the house is good, I'd make 1000 If the house is really bad, which was rare, I would make 300 I said, how about if he pays me 300 a day? Okay, that's fine. So I made it out for 2100 and Hogan says a month later when he gets the check back or whatever, he was real right. cool about it. But, right. you know, simple story, but that's how generous Hogan is. And, to, so, and we were both born on August 11th, so we celebrated our birthdays a couple times together. Great guy. We're both from Tampa. He broke in a little bit before me, and he's a hell of a guy. You, I want to ask, because you were so close with Dusty, but you dealt with Vince a lot. What was that relationship like in comparison more much more business uh, yeah it was corporate but vince had his you know liked his guys how i got to vince we were Zion and i were in wcw and a guy named jim hurd he was the manager of a pizza hut or a domino's or something yeah. a fucking big wig in the pizza business yeah. <laughs> so somehow he's a ceo of fucking wcw now he wants to clean it up because they're spending $39 million a year. He wants to bring it down to $30 million a year. So he says, Fonzie and the Giant, we want you to take a pay cut. Instead of paying him $350,000 and you $100, we take a little bit less money. So the Giant, he wasn't too happy with that. He says, Fonzie, do you know anybody in WWF? I said, yes, I do. I said, I know J.J. Dillon. He's Vince McMahon's assistant booker, and he was an assistant booker to Dusty Mostly the whole time I was in Florida. So I got along with J.J. very well. So I called Vince's office. Say, Vince, I mean, uh, can I speak with J.J. Dillon? Oh, Who's yeah. calling? Fonzie. Uh, I didn't expect to get right through, but J.J. picks up. Hey, Fonzie, hey, how you doing? We shoot the shit. What can I do for you? I said, well, here's the situation. They want to take a pay cut and so on and so on. 
He says, well, let me run it by Vince, and uh, I'll see if he's interested. I said, well, JJ, we can go to Japan, or he can go back and play play, uh, European basketball, or some whatever. So we still got some options, but we'd like to come work for you. He said, I'll run it by Vince. So two hours later, the phone rings. It's JJ Dillon. Yeah, Vince is interested. He'd like to fly you guys up to so have a meeting. And when can you guys come up? Well, whenever you want. We're taking a, a week off because the giant had a spur removed. So we were at my house recuperating. So we weren't on the road for four or five days. So we flew up to Vince's office. Uh, Vince and the limo. We get off the airplane. I'm with the eight-foot guy. He's the tallest pro athlete on the planet at that time. Nobody else bigger. Nobody on the whole fucking planet. And me, Bill Alfonso, is his right-hand man, plus his best friend, plus his guy. We get off the plane. There's Spike Lee. Spike Lee, get, you know, he's a big basketball fan. Right. You yeah. see him at all the games. Right, you know, right. right. Uh, you know, so he just looks at the fucking giant walk by like he's amazed. Nobody sees a guy eight foot tall. Right. And Spike Lee said, man, who is that? I said, oh, that's Giant Gonzalez. He gave me his card once, you know, please call. Uh, so I took his card. and So we go to Vince's house, not his office, not a arena. We go right to Vince's house and J.J. Dillon's there. So uh, the limo driver, we go up to and start talking to J.J. He said, J.J. says, Vince is on his way. Am I talking too fast? No, 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 no. Vince is on his way. Apologize for being a little bit late, but, you know, we'll shoot the shit. Fonzie, how you doing? Giant, you're so big. Oh, my God. They loved him because he was so fucking big. Right, yeah. But he couldn't work a lick. Not his fault. You know, <laughs> right. he can do some big man stuff, but he didn't get the concept. He didn't have the psychology. Right. It was awkward for him to work, but his size would overcome any... Uh, and he's making good money. Yeah. Three, four, yeah, big money. And so in comes Vince, and Vince comes in and introduces himself. He's got a suit on with tennis shoes, like a purple suit, beautiful, went his house, and, and the Giants amazed because he's from Argentina, a fucking poor country. Right. You know, he never made big money. Even though he played European basketball, they didn't pay him big money. They didn't pay him no, they didn't have a, a ton of money. Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. So Vince is giant. Oh, we like you. We want to do this. We want to do that. He says, uh, when can you start? Well, my contract. He said, don't even go back to WCW. Well, they owe me $60,000. And he said, JJ, write him a check for sixty grand. That's your signing bonus. Fuck WCW. <laughs> and the giant says, Vince, I haven't been home for Christmases like in... Uh, you know, a month in November or something. He said, I haven't been home for Christmas in three years. He says, can I go home for Christmas and start in January sometime? And, and Vince says, oh, great. Go home and come back. How about starting on January 15th? Perfect. You, fl- you flipped your mic off there. There you go. Sorry about that, Daddy. I turned the mic off. Uh, <laughs> so he so, goes back home for so Christmas. So he goes back home for Christmas, and he says, Fonzie, do you, he says, I know you. You're kind of athletic. I've seen you, Auntie. I like you, Fonzie. He says, do you want to go home and, say, and start on the 15th? This is like November 1st or 2nd. I don't be off for two months. Right. You know, I want some money, Daddy. So he's, I said, no, sir. Uh, I like to start saying, JJ, put him on the card. So he added me to the card. Uh, We were running two or three, A team, B team, C team. Uh, One team was out in California, one team was in Texas, and one team was on the East Coast. It was three teams of guys, three three shows shows per night. So he said, JJ, add him on. So JJ gave me a list and added me on like 20 dates. Boom, 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 MSJ. I said, JJ, where's MSJ? MSG. 
He said, Fonzie, that's Madison Square Garden because we never worked the gardens because WCW didn't go up there. Right, yeah. And Florida didn't go up there. But Madison Square is one of the most famous arenas on the planet. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I said, MSG, where's that? He said, Fonzie, that's Madison Square. Boom. So I was fucking thrilled. And that's how we got into WWF with a phone call to J.J. Dillon. And that I was, you know, I had talent to back up. And I'd been in the business for a long time. And had the tallest athlete in the world, and Vince loved him and liked me somewhat. He didn't really know me; he just seen me a few times. He put me over. Oh, you're athletic and this and that. And and he used to comment during the three years I was there, almost three years. Um, I used to take extra big bumps and do all kind of shit to get more recognition. The other guys wouldn't dress nice. Right. I would dress beautiful. Hey, everybody dressed like Fonzie. All your referees. They got I got heat with all the refs for making them dress nice. <laughs> They didn't like that because they were wearing Zubas and jeans and shit. I was wearing suits and the Rolex and Louis Vuitton and shit. I just, that's how you got to be. You're working for the biggest company on the planet. You yeah. got to look the part. Right. Because I'm not Hulk Hogan. I'd go into a Marriott. Can I help you? Yeah, I have a room. I'm in jeans and a nice shirt, polo shirt. Yeah, wait a minute. If I walk in with a Rolex, a suit, a Louis, a nice. Yes, sir. Can we help you? Right away. Right. You know, appearances, yeah, everything. Yep. So, uh, so, so that's how you got into the WWF. How do you get into ECW from there? Ooh, okay, Daddy. I'm talking two miles a minute, Daddy. I want to not drag these stories out, but I want to... No, they're... Oh, I think I got about 67 stories, so I can do about four or five of these podcasts. Okay, okay. I'm Gucci. I think we're going to be okay. Yeah. So, how I got into ECW. Now, the business at the end of 94 start taking a dip in attendance and the re- and the business went down say 20% whatever it was I'm not right. sure the percentage but it went down and, and especially Vince, went down in 95 big time so Vince uh, staff not Vince uh, said uh, to me said well we're going to take a cut we got a cut and I was one of the last referees they hired so he says we like you Fonzie but we're cleaning a little bit and we're not going to have the water cooler over here we're going to get rid of some people more diplomatic right. than that right. but yeah. you were on the last one so we're going to have to let you go but if your business picks up we're going to use you again and when we come to Florida we'll always use you so you're still involved but you're not just full time right. I said well thank- what am I going to say fuck you right. I said thank you very much and then I said, Vince, you know, when I seen Vince at Monday Night Raw, I said, Vince, you know, they, they let me go without any notice. They said I finished up in two days, you know, to give me a time to get my shit together. He said, what? They did that to you, Fonzie? Oh, no. He called, gave the guy who gave me my notice in two days, you know, told me on a Monday that I'm finishing on a Wednesday. That's not Gucci. Right. You know what I mean? You got to have a little. You need some time. Yeah. At least yeah, a couple adjust, weeks. And, you know, it's a shot. So Vince said, don't worry, Fonzie. He gave me a $10,000 umbrella departure thing. Like a severance package. Severance package and made sure that I was on every show in Florida. And if business picked back up, they would use me. So I was very grateful. And I always talk good about Vince. Uh, um, He's one of the greatest promoters ever. The people who talk bad about Vince, they're the ones who got fired for failing drug tests or something. They got fired. Then they talk shit about Vince. But not me. I'll put Vince over because he treated me like a fucking king. Right. Uh, so so, you, so you, you're a free agent, essentially. So now point. I go home. Now this is actually the first time I've had off in like maybe 20 years. Pretty damn close to it. Right. You know, I mean, working full time, not just on weekends. I mean, I was working full time. You don't have no days off because if you take it one a day off, someone's going to take your spot. Exactly. 
So I'm on the tractor. I'm cutting the fucking grass. I got 10 orange trees. I'm having a good time. Two weeks go by, and the phone rings. It's Paul Heyman. I had worked for Paul Heyman, uh, with Paul Heyman, and he came down with a guy named Tombstone in Florida. He came down with a T-shirt, hose in his fucking jeans, and a pair of Converse, and he just tagged along like I did in Texas with the right. Cuban assassin. You know, trying to break into business and stuff, and I helped. And so, uh, Tombstone got his notice. He was going to finish up. They had been there all summer. And Paul Heyman said, "Hey, fine. I was assistant booker. Paul uh, Bob Roop was a booker. Dusty had already went to WCW." And Paul Heyman says, "Fonzie, you think I can go to the ring? We're finishing up in two weeks, and we're going to go home." And I said, "Well, you can't go to the ring in a t-shirt and fucking holy pants and a fucking pair of Converse." He got money to buy a suit. I didn't know his father was a fucking big-time lawyer, lived in Scarsdale, the most expensive real estate on the planet. Uh, it had money. So he said, yeah, I can. So he came back with a fucking beautiful suit and a fucking cell phone. Not a cell phone, uh, a phone like a cordless phone in the yeah, house, right. like a gimmick, you know? So, and then uh, Tombstone was working with Scott Hall, and we press slammed Paul Heyman for two weeks, and they left the territory, and, you know, God bless him. So as time goes by, I said, damn, Paul Heyman, look at him. He's a big star in AWA for Vern Gagne. Then uh, I go to WCW, and Paul Heyman's a big star there. He's, you know, the, right. yeah. you know, the gimmick and all that. So, oh, we love the, oh, Paul, he's my best friend. You know, he loves me. We love each other. So then I go to WWF, and I don't see Paul, but once or twice, like at uh, Studio 54. It wasn't Studio 54, but at a club at in New York. New York, yeah. Fonzie, oh, my God. So... I'm off. I just got released from WWF, and I get the phone call. It's Paul Heyman. He said, "Hey, Fonzie, how you doing?" He said, "You just left WWF." I said, "Yeah." He says, "Well, look, I got this company called ECW." I said, "What the fuck's the ECW?" <laughs> I've never worked for an indie company or any. Co I was mainstream. Right. Lucky enough to be mainstream. I was very blessed and very lucky to have a, a full-time job. So he says, "I have this idea. I want you to come up. You're fresh out of. You're still on Raw." You know, because they tape three weeks. They yeah, tape yeah. two or three weeks. They do one live show, and they can two, two Monday, weeks, right. uh, Tuesday, and Wednesday. They can two more shows. So it's boom, boom, boom. So I was still on TV. He said, I'd like to bring you in, and we're going to do this thing where you come in with your bow tie, and you're fucking uh, from the State Athletic Commission, you're WWF, and they're going to know who you are, and you want to anti-violence, stop the violence. We're all about violence and sex and drugs and rock and roll. I said, Okay, I didn't know exactly what was going on, but I went in there, you know, the gimmick, Shane Douglas brought me in to do something, and so I stopped all kind of matches and started causing pandemonium, and fucking I had so much heat because I would spoil. There was a Taipei death match between Ian Ron and Axelron. These people, the hardcore fans, have been waiting months. They dip their hands in glass, yeah. In, yeah, in the glass, glue yeah. And dip it in glass, and they fight each other, and the big juice and all that. So they've been having this match planned for months. So the first little sign, like, you know that juice the kid just got up yeah, the elbow? Yeah, yeah. We're talking about out there. over his eye out there. I stopped the match. I said, dude, he can't do the lack of vision in his eye. I stopped the people wanting to fucking kill me. <laughs> so and 911 was famous for the choke slam. So I banned the choke slam. No more choke slams. And the people wanted to see him choke slam Fonzie. And so finally at the end, he choke slammed me. Boom, boom, boom. I was supposed to be there four weeks. And split. Yeah. 
But the gimmick kind of got over, and Paulie did this and that, and put me with Taz, and then just evolved and evolved. And blew and evolved. Up, uh, yeah, it blew up from there. Blew up from there. I was there five years, made tremendous money for working Friday and Saturday. I was blessed again, and my gimmick got over, and, and thank God Paul Heyman walked me through because I couldn't really do a promo. I've been a referee for 20 years. I didn't do a lot of promos. Right. Once in a while, I would, you know, do a little thing. Hey, over-the-top rope, a pantomime, you know. But, you know, I was having a hard time doing promos, and Paul, Tommy Dreamer says, Fonzie. You're killing us. You're doing one promo 18 times. Come on. <laughs> he said, just treat it like a shoot. Treat it like it's real. I said, what? He said, yeah, say what you see. I said, okay. And then I was one, after that day, it was one take Fonzie. They created a monster. And the gimmick got over. They put me with Taz, Van Damme, and Sabu. And I stayed 21 pay-per-views. And I had a top spot and made 50 grand a year working weekends and having a great time. It's actually my favorite company to work for financially it was good but i had the best time we were creating something that was on the ground floor and this uh uh cult following type thing you guys know ecw right. yeah yeah great one of the you know one of the most memorable things from your ecw run is the well, match I beat Beulah's ass. It, it's the match with buell you know, I, we were just talking about oh that earlier today so here's the dope on that i'll make it this let's do this last story and then we'll save some because I got the alligator story. I got the story where Barry Windham got shot. I got the story <laughs> where the, all kind of good stories. But the last story is with the Beulah. So uh, WCW and WWF were plucking our talent. They yeah. had took the Dudley boys. They had took Taz. They had took Mike Awesome. They had took this guy, Sam and that guy. So now uh, they think that I was negotiating behind Paul Heyman's back, which I wasn't. I didn't know anything about it, but Sabu was negotiating with Kevin Sullivan and WCW, because Kevin Sullivan right. had the book in WCW. They were negotiating a contract, 250 first year, 350 second year, 450, and they said, uh, Sabu, who do you want to manage you? Fonzie, of course. I didn't know he was even talking to me, but I'm damn sure gonna go. If they're, right. you know, if I they're gonna, gonna pay. make that kind of money, but I was gonna make good money, not Sabu money, but make Maybe half of that would have been right. tremendous, tremendous right. money. More than ECW money. More than fucking any money I've ever made. Because that would have been a different position. Referee makes 100 grand a year there. A manager makes middle pay. You know, it could have been 200, right. 250, whatever. Yeah. So it would be tremendous. So I didn't know this. So Paul Heyman got win. You know how you tell a wrestler, telegraph. Right. You can't keep a secret like that. So I didn't know this. I'm telling you this after I find out way later. So they thought I was negotiating with Sabu. Sabu had already flown to TBS and went to uh, Center Street, you know, Peach Street and all that. And, and uh, I didn't know any of this. So they thought I was in cahoots with the fucking uh, the scandal. And I wasn't. I didn't know anything. Did, didn't it turn out to be Todd Gordon, maybe? No, Todd Gordon helped some guys. After the fact, after they after left, he was, yeah, no, he helped guys after, when they went to WCW, he helped refine their contract, so they okay. already had left, Okay. and he was out, Paul Heyman pushed Todd Gordon out somehow, but in the, Paul won, I mean, Todd Gordon wanted to get out anyway, because right, right, he was right. spending a lot of money, and not making money back, but, and, and Paul thought he could do it by himself, and which he did, he did really good, and I love Paul Heyman, so, now, um, they think I was all a part of that, and I wasn't. So they're going to put me again with Fonzie and Beulah in a match. Now, after the match, 
Paul Heyman was going to fire me, and I didn't even know this. I didn't know I was going to get fired after the match. Do you, oh, so, wow. so was the idea is he was going to embarrass you by having you, you know, put Beulah over? Yeah, put Beulah over. And I was on a you. big star, and then he was going to fire you after that. Exactly, that's what I think. Right. Now it may be a little different. Paul Heyman may have a different story, but I don't know. But Paul was a dear friend of mine, and that was the right thing to do in his eyes. He was business. He couldn't let. You know, you had to make an example out of somebody and make it out of Fonzie. It right. just happened to be me. Yeah. No, no personal. It was just business. Like the Godfather. It's just business. <laughs> so I, so I didn't know any of this. So I had the match with. B, I was gonna have the match with Beulah, and we're two non-wrestlers. She's a fucking centerfold, penthouse, adult movie star, and I'm a referee that hasn't had too many matches or too many fights in the ring, and. How the fuck are we going to pull this off in front of the smart marks, in front of ECW and say, who you fucked up? You yeah. fucked up. How are we going to in? How are we going to entertain these fucking people? And so we went over a match before in the dressing room and then we went out to the ring and did a couple of spots and shit. Uh, all right, daddy, John is leaving. He's got other duties, daddy. So I'm going to finish up this story and I'm going to have to tell him again later. So uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? But anyway, so. He's got to go talk to your buddy, Raven. Oh, Raven's here? Hey, yeah, yeah. Raven, daddy. That's my boy, Raven. Woo, Raven. So, uh, <laughs> so um, we have the match. Yeah. And before the match, I had a little bit of a headache. So I had taken a couple of aspirin. And then the headache didn't go away. I was just nervous and shit. A lot of tenseness, a lot of pressure that night. I've, you know, it's like walking out in front of Madison Square Gardens. You know what I mean? You get yeah. butterflies and shit. I'm going to go have this match in front of these hardcore wrestling fans. If I fucked up, they're going to say, and you fucked up. And if it was the shits, they would have let me know. It might have ruined my career. But fortunately, so I took, a, I ended up taking six or eight aspirin because I had this tremendous headache. So, I mean, an hour or two before the match and the aspirin thins out your blood. And I didn't know I was going to get busted open, really. <laughs> so I'm off my blood's thin as hell. I'm on the aspirin. I go to the fucking ring. We have this fucking match at the beginning of the match, daddy. Oh, there's my boy Raven. Hey, bet it up, daddy. There he is. Oh, my God. I'll tell that story one day. This is a great story. His lips are turning blue. Fuck. Great. So so we end up, like, in the first fucking 30 seconds of the match, Beulah hits me with his 10 sheet, and I get sliced way fucking big, cuts arteries, tendons. My head's numb. I almost bleed to fucking death. Really, literally. But I fin. So this happened 30 seconds into the match, so... And I was bleeding, and Beulah said, oh, my God. The gash on my head was like a half inch wide, two inches long. I was bleeding. Every time I had to pump, I would shoot out blood 10 feet. It was crazy. Hey, Raven, hold, hold the phone, Daddy. I'm going to put Raven over for a second. Johnny Polo, Raven. <laughs> I tried to get him stretched in 1983, all that, but we became really good friends, and I love her. He's a lifelong friend, Daddy. You were there when I detoxed. I took it. If Raven said, hey, Fonzie, can uh, you help me take me to detox in West Palm Beach? Oh, yeah, Daddy. So fucking it was great. So we've been through a lot together. Good yeah. and not, not, no, no bad. No bad. All good. No bad. All good. All good, Daddy. And Better we were superstars in WCW, WWF, we ECW. Were there, we were together when Sandman OD'd and his oh lips turned God. blue. We're driving, <laughs> we're driving down the road. 
And all of a sudden, uh, Fonzie goes, hey, better not daddy. Sandman's lips are turning blue. <laughs> he was at, Sandman had injected this fucking massive narcotic pill, thinking it was a normal pill. No, you know? no, I told him it was too big a dose yeah, for him. Yeah, he said, oh, I'm good for it. He had to yeah. drink a case of beer already. He's all fucked up already. Yeah, well, so, he's, he's, so I said, you're not ready for that big a dose. And so he's like, oh, yes, I am. And so he took it, and he OD'd, and then we had a long story short. We had to pull up. We had to call nine one one. We pulled off the highway to meet nine one one. Not not the wrestler, the uh, the actual nine one one. And the cops came because on on well, the phone before call. That, before we, that, we stopped at, a, at there was a hotel across the street where we were supposed to meet him, and to we get threw, rid of all the threw drugs. all the bags out with all the drugs. And little Guido was in the back, and he when oh, we pulled all the bags out, he went flying out and took a face bump on the ground. It, <laughs> it was great. You had to be there to understand the story. So we tell the nine one one, hey, a wrestler, uh, we think he's ODing. So they send a squad. The police thinking there was a big wrestling in the parking lot for yeah. guys fighting, not you know, not like an actual pro wrestler. No, no. The guys fighting the beer brawl, or whatever. So they said, "No, oh, the fucking cops. Thank God the cops are cool." And they said, "Oh, there's Raven and the blonde hair." So yeah, my friend had a bump on his head. And he took some narcotic and he might have yeah, took so too much. They're like, they're like, yeah. So what do you take? We're like, oh, we don't know. They're like, they're like, it's really gonna help us save. Him. Are we gonna get in trouble? No. Oh, this is he took oxycontin. He got a oxycontin. <laughs> he banged it. So yeah. So they take uh, uh, Sam no, to the actually, hospital. Actually, the true story is, is they go, what do you take? And they're like, uh, and we're like, he took oxycontin, but don't tell the cops. They're like, we, it's not. Don't worry about it. They're like, it's cool. <laughs> like, so they take Sandman to. He's dead, almost dead. He can't breathe. They get fucking survive. They give him the fucking shot in the heart to fucking uh, make him better shot. That's what he they claims. Take, they they, they, they didn't the actually give him a shot in the heart. They didn't. No, they didn't. They gave him the nose. They gave him a little uh, yeah, spray. I, think, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think so. But oh, it was but, a but, but, Sam, but Sandman claims they gave him the, the hypodermic in the heart. <laughs> like, a like a Pulp Fiction. Like a Pulp Fiction. Right. Pulp Fiction. Though. Yeah, he's a dramatic Sandman. So <laughs> he likes to embellish. But he got mad at us for calling the cops. He said, "Man, you ruined my high." I said, "Brother, your lips." <laughs> Fucking turn the blue daddy. <laughs> Fuck, you were. What a high, dead. you were dead. <laughs> this is a true story. He must have seen the white light, but the white light was just cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> See, we were going to wind it down, but then Raven sat down with us. We can't wind it down now, daddy. No, got, well, I got I to start, start my seminar. But, well, uh, I guess that's true, too. Yeah, I got to start. This, what time does the seminar start? One, five, five. Mi- five minutes ago, probably. <laughs> All right, what time? One. What time is that? Well, let me do the seminar so then I can get back to my nap. Okay. Right. Sounds All right. good. Uh, bet it up, Daddy. I love you, brother. <laughs> you too, Fonzie. Ooh, that Thanks, was Raven. Raven live and in person. Daddy's going to go do a seminar. <laughs> Just jumped in right before that seminar. Yeah, it was there perfect, you right? You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, you can't predict what's going to happen in AIW, brother. It's all hardcore. It's fucking bruising and brawling and fucking blood and guts and Raven and Fonzie and Justice and Wes and a bunch of guys. John, what a fucking crew here. I am so thrilled to be here. It's fucking like... Great, Fonzie. I want to I want to roll this tie this up with uh, one thing because we talked about earlier, and uh, a nice little lesson for people trying to get involved in wrestling and people in life in general. You have had the success that you have had, largely too, because your personal thing is just be be nice to everybody, right? Like just well, be be a good person. I think that's a general rule in life. Yeah. And it applies to if you're a doctor, be nice there. Uh, if you're a lawyer, you know, you got to be good, 
because karma comes around and wrestling especially you know what i mean you got to be humble you got to put everybody over from the guy who puts up the ring to the first matches to the main event so if i treated like the first the second third match if i didn't put them over i've seen this happen hundreds of times guys get a big head they're in the main event they won't talk to the uh first match or second match they think they're better than them that's bullshit everybody's fucking equal daddy and you better treat everybody good that's brings longevity uh, and that's what's got me by, uh, uh, I'm well liked in the business by a lot of my peers and uh, I'm fan friendly. I love my fans. Uh, I love the people who watch wrestling and listen to the podcast. If it wasn't for them, you know, you've heard this before, we wouldn't be nowhere. Well, so I'm appreciative to everybody. And I say that and I bring that up because in case anybody really needed an example of that, you met Paul Heyman before he's Paul Heyman. You were nice to him. Fonzie comes around, it ends up Fonzie needs a job. You I didn't did even a know. similar story with and he I'm calls save to the next one for the next podcast we do. Hopefully I can do part one, part eight, part, <laughs> yeah. part B. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow went through the same thing with Bam Bam, a similar story with Paul Hammond. The guy who just left us, Raven, yeah. a very similar story with Raven too. So you never know. You know what I mean? You yeah. never know. So there you go. If you were uh, somebody that's training to be a wrestler, or you are a wrestler and you're listening to and this. And I'm not trying to buy my everybody. way to heaven by taking no. the old lady across the street. But just lying, treat everybody but, you know, with some sort of respect. Yeah. Be nice to them. Yeah. That's it. So, so I'm cool, daddy. Well, there you go. Well, we're going to wrap it up with that because we can go on and on. But we got a show to get to here, folks. So for John Thorne, for Raven, and for the daddy himself, Bill Alfonso Fonzi, my name's Steve Guy. We'll talk to you next week right here on The Card is Going to Change. Super Daddy.